Section sixty of Chesterfield's Letters to His Son. Read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. Letter ninety one. London, November twenty fourth, Old Style, seventeen forty nine. Dear boy, every rational being, I take it for granted, proposes to himself some object more important than mere respiration and obscure animal existence. He desires to distinguish himself among his fellow creatures, and alucir negotio intentus preclare facendoris, ot artis bonae, famen carit. Caesar, when embarking in a storm, said, that it was not necessary he should live, but that it was absolutely necessary he should get to the place to which he was going. And Pliny leaves mankind this only alternative, either of doing what deserves to be written, or of writing what deserves to be read. As for those who do neither, eorum vitam mortemque juxta estimo, quonium de utruc silitur. You have, I am convinced, one or both of these objects in view, but you must know and use the necessary means, or your pursuit will be vain and frivolous. In either case, sapere est principium effons, but it is by no means all. That knowledge must be adorned, it must have lustre as well as weight, or it will be oftener taken, for lead than for gold." Knowledge you have and will have. I am easy upon that article. But my business as your friend is not to compliment you upon what you have, but to tell you with freedom what you want, and I must tell you plainly that I fear you want everything but knowledge. I have written to you so often of late upon good breeding, address, les manières liantes, that I shall confine this letter to another subject, pretty near akin to them, and which I am sure you are full as deficient in, I mean, style. Style is the dress of thoughts, and let them be ever so just. If your style is homely, coarse, and vulgar, they will appear to as much disadvantage, and be as ill-received as your person, though ever so well-proportioned, would, if dressed in rags, dirt, and tatters. It is not every understanding that can judge of matter, but every ear can and does judge more or less of style. And were I either to speak or write to the public, I should prefer moderate manner, adorned with all the beauties and elegancies of style, to the strongest matter in the world, ill-worded and ill-delivered. Your business is negotiation abroad, and oratory in the House of Commons at home. What figure can you make, in either case, if your style be inelegant? I do not say bad. Imagine yourself writing an office letter to a Secretary of State, which letter is to be read by the whole Cabinet Council, and very possibly afterward laid before Parliament, any one barbarism, solecism, or vulgarism in it, would, in a very few days, circulate through the whole kingdom, to your disgrace and ridicule. For instance, I will suppose you had written the following letter from The Hague to the Secretary of State at London, and leave you to suppose the consequences of it. My Lord, I had last night the honour of your Lordship's letter of the 24th, and will set about doing the orders contained therein. And if so be that I can get that affair done by the next post, I will not fail for to give your lordship an account of it by next post. I have told the French minister, as how that if that affair be not soon concluded, your lordship would think it all long of him, and that he must have neglected for to have wrote to his court about it. I must beg leave to put your lordship in mind as how, that I am now full three-quarter in arrear, and if so be that I do not very soon receive at least one half-year, I shall cut a very bad figure, for this here place is very dear. 
I shall be vastly beholden to your lordship for that there mark of your favour, and so I rest or remain your, etc. You will tell me possibly that this is a caricatura of an illiberal and inelegant style. I will admit it, but I assure you at the same time that a dispatch with less than half these faults would blow you up for ever. It is by no means sufficient to be free from faults, in speaking and writing, but you must do both correctly and elegantly. In faults of this kind it is not ille optimus qui minimus argitur, but he is unpardonable who has any at all, because it is his own fault. He need only attend to, observe, and imitate the best authors. It is a very true saying that a man must be born a poet, but that he may make himself an orator, and the very first principle of an orator is to speak his own language, particularly, with the utmost purity and elegance. A man will be forgiven even great errors in a foreign language, but in his own even the least slips are justly laid hold of and ridiculed. A person of the House of Commons, speaking two years ago upon naval affairs, asserted that we had then the finest navy upon the face of the yarth. This happy mixture of blunder and vulgarism, you may easily imagine, was matter of immediate ridicule, but I can assure you that it continues so still, and will be remembered as long as he lives and speaks. Another, speaking in defence of a gentleman, upon whom a censure was moved, happily said that he thought that gentleman was more liable to be thanked and rewarded than censured. You know, I presume, that liable can never be used in a good sense. You have with you three or four of the best English authors, Dryden, Atterbury, and Swift. Read them with the utmost care, and with a particular view to their language, and they may possibly correct that curious infelicity of diction which you acquired at Westminster. Mr. Hart accepted, I will admit that you have met with very few English abroad, who could improve your style, and with many, I dare say, who speak as ill as yourself, and it may be worse. You must, therefore, take the more pains, and consult your authors and Mr. Hart the more. I need not tell you how attentive the Romans and Greeks, particularly the Athenians, were to this object. It is also a study among the Italians and the French, witness their respective academies and dictionaries for improving and fixing their languages. To our shame be it spoken, it is less attended to here than in any polite country, but that is no reason why you should not attend to it. On the contrary, it will distinguish you the more. Cicero says, very truly, that it is glorious to excel other men in that very article, in which men excel brutes. Speech. Constant experience has shown me that great purity and elegance of style, with a graceful elocution, cover a multitude of faults, in either a speaker or a writer. For my own part, I confess, and I believe most people are of my mind, that if a speaker should ungracefully mutter or stammer out to me the sense of an angel, deformed by barbarism and solecisms, or larded with vulgarisms, he should never speak to me a second time if I could help it. Gain the heart, or you gain nothing. The eyes and the ears are the only roads to the heart. Merit and knowledge will not gain hearts, though they will secure them when gained. Pray, have that truth ever in your mind. Engage the eyes by your address, air, and motions. Soothe the ears by the elegance and harmony of your diction. The heart will certainly follow, and the whole man or woman will as certainly follow the heart. I must repeat it to you, over and over again, that with all the knowledge which you have at present, or hereafter acquire, and with all merit that ever man had, if you have not a graceful address, 
liberal and engaging manners, a prepossessing air, and a good degree of eloquence in speaking and writing, you will be nobody, but will have the daily mortification of seeing people, with not one-tenth part of your merit or knowledge, get the start of you, and disgrace you, both in company and in business. You have read Quintilian, the best book in the world to form an orator. Pray read Cicero de Oratore, the best book in the world to finish one. Translate and retranslate from and to Latin, Greek, and English. Make yourself a pure and elegant English style. It requires nothing but application. I do not find that God has made you a poet, and I am very glad that he is not. Therefore, for God's sake, make yourself an orator, which you may do. Though I still call you boy, I consider you no longer as such. And when I reflect upon the prodigious quantity of manure that has been laid upon you, I expect that you should produce more at eighteen than uncultivated soils do at eight and twenty. Pray tell Mr. Hart that I have received his letter of the thirteenth new style. Mr. Smith was much in the right not to let you go at this time of the year by sea. In the summer you may navigate as much as you please, as, for example, from Leghorn to Genoa, etc. Adieu. End of section 60. Read by Professor Heather and By. For more free audiobooks or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org.